Hey, it's a very good afternoon. Welcome along to the podcast this afternoon. And every afternoon, as you know, we do a nice special interview. Something that will keep you intrigued, inspired, or just interested. And you may cast your minds back uh, a little bit, if you can, to May the 25th, 2020. And Derek Michael Chauvin was an American criminal case in the District Court of Minnesota in 2021. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was tried and convicted with the murder of George Floyd. That's a name I'm sure you haven't forgotten. Which occurred during an arrest on May the 25th, 2020. And it led to a global protest over racial injustice and police brutality. Now, a 12-member jury found Derek Chauvin guilty of unintentional second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. It was the first conviction of a white police officer in Minnesota for the murder of a black person. Now, the trial was held in Hennepin County Government Center in Minneapolis, and it ran from March the 8th to the 20th of April. It was the first criminal trial in Minnesota to be entirely televised and the first in the state to be broadcast live. And the trial received extensive media coverage right over here in Ireland as well. We watched it live as well. Everybody watched it live. 23 million people watched the verdict being announced on the television. Several protest marches and large demonstrations were held up to and during the trial. And large crowds celebrated the guilty verdict and the announcement. Now, Derek Chauvin was... Uh, sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison for secondary murder, 10 years more for the uh, presumptive sentence under the sentencing guidelines of 12 and a half years. The former officer J. J. Alexander Kyung and Thomas Lane were also found guilty of federal uh, civil rights charges and are each serving two to three, or were serving two to three and a half year sentences in prison. Lane also pleaded guilty to aiding and abetting second-degree murder, manslaughter, and he was sentenced to a three-year sentence in prison. And Kyung was sentenced to three and a half years for the same charges. And the former Minneapolis police officer, Tao Chow, has been sentenced to four years and nine months for his role in Floyd's murder. Since then, we really haven't heard too much about it. But at the time, you couldn't miss the story. And I'm sure you all remember watching the videos and the photographs of Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck? Or is that what we were led to believe? There are questions now raised over what actually happened on that day. And a video has now surfaced, a documentary, on YouTube that has millions of hits by journalist Liz Collin, has been a truth teller for 20 years, a multi-award winning reporter and anchor. Liz is a Worthington, Minnesota native who lives in the suburbs with her husband. And she uncovered what really happened on, in Chicago, on Chicago Avenue, and exposes what she believes is the truth of the 2020 riots. And before I speak to Liz in relation to the documentary, and if you want to go and watch it, by the way, it's called The Fall of Minneapolis, and you can watch it on YouTube, or if you just Google it, I'm sure you'll find it. There's also a book, by the way. The book is called They're Lying, The Media, The Left, and The Death of George Floyd. But let's have a quick look at the trailer before we speak to Liz. George Floyd. Murder. Murder and manslaughter. Murder of George Floyd. Peaceful protest overnight in the Twin Cities. They've been very peaceful. The crowd continues to be peaceful. 846, 8 minutes and 46 seconds. 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Actually, 8 minutes and 46 seconds. 
By the way, that particular technique is not authorized by the MPD. Is this a trained Minneapolis Police Department technique? It is not. When I heard that, I really wanted to get up off my chair and yell, bullshit. From what I've seen of the videotape and the photograph and the police training manual, they look pretty identical. Were you trained in MRT, the maximal restraint technique? Yes. 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 All the police officers were trained in the MRT. George Floyd says, I got shot last time. I got shot the same way as always before. Did you shoot him? No, I didn't shoot him. No. You helped to train Officer Alex King. What did you think of him? I probably trained a few thousand people. He was probably one of the top two. This call is from a federal prison. Hi, Derek, it's Liz. Well, that's the video. And as I said, you can go to Rumble or YouTube and watch it. It's had millions of hits already. And joining me is the person that you saw in that video there asking all the questions. Investigative journalist Liz Collin. Liz, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's a, it's amazing how far this this documentary uh, has reached reached at this point. Yeah, it's it's certainly gone global. But I mean, you've been involved in investigative journalism for a long time, and you've done many different interesting things. I was looking at your website, many different books, and everything else in, in relation to what you believe is truth telling. What inspired you? to go for this particular story, apart from obviously living close by? What, what inspired you to go for this? Yeah, so I had a very unique perspective uh, through all of this. My uh, husband himself was a Minneapolis police officer. He was serving as the union president uh, during, during all of this, uh, spent more than 30 years with the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, so I had a, a unique uh, view as far as that's concerned. But also I'd been a, a longtime uh, reporter and anchor at the Minneapolis uh, at the CBS affiliate in Minneapolis, uh, WCCO was the name of the station where I worked. I was a familiar face on the news. I'm a, a Minnesota kid, as, as you talk, talked about, um, you, you know, at the at the station I, I grew up watching. Uh, but but I was I was demoted. I sort of lost my position over all of this because, you know, how dare you be married uh, to, to a police officer? Uh, but more than anything, I was so troubled as a journalist because uh, the media was really privy to information. Uh, that that countered what you know these so-called leaders in Minnesota were were spewing from the very beginning. Uh, was that, uh, you know, was that frustrating the, for you at the time when you were watching the media coverage? And we'll get to the media coverage and the politicization of this in a few minutes. But was that frustrating you when you're working in the media? You're hearing one story, and what they're actually putting out and what media are generally putting out is something completely different. Absolutely. And it's why, um, you know, I called the book They're Lying because I just kept shouting that over and over again for months on end. Uh, they're lying, the media, the left and the death of, of George Floyd. But it seemed that there was just this fear around this entire situation that, you know, what happens if you, you actually you actually tell the truth. But again, uh, you, you have people saying one thing and, you know, the, the evidence uh, certainly shows something else. And I've never seen a story like this that's manipulated from the very beginning. Not so much uh, what we're being told, uh, but what we're not, how evidence is being hidden with the, the body camera footage, with the technique the officers were using. I mean, there's a long list of things that were kept from the public and they were kept from the public for a reason. I mean, 
this was a perfect storm when it comes to politicization because at that particular time, of course, you had Joe Biden had just come into as president of America. Um, and it was a perfect storm, realistically, because you had a black man and a white police officer. So, and there had already been talk. And I'm, by the way, I don't want to dismiss the fact that there is an argument and a debate, he ha- debate to be had in relation to racism within the police force. And that, that's worldwide, by the way, in, in generally speaking. Um, and I'm not suggesting it's happening widespread, but it certainly does happen. So there is a debate to be had around that. But in this particular instance, it was a perfect storm. Now, let's just get to George Floyd. You break down at the start of the documentary, George Floyd and his previous convictions. George Floyd clearly was no saint. Um, he had spent a lot of time being arrested and a lot of time in jail. Yeah, most of his adult life he spent in and out of prison, and that and that's well documented. Uh, but again, you have uh, the Minneapolis uh, police chief and the mayor of Minneapolis talking about the very next day um, after his death that the Minneapolis Police Department didn't know who he was. Uh, he has no history. However, um, there is a, a pretty high-profile arrest that takes place in 2019, May of 2019, exactly, almost a year uh, but before his death, that is eerily similar to what took place in 2020. But but a lot of things uh, were, were happening behind the scenes to hide that body camera footage uh, from, from citizens. And, and again, many people uh, never even knew uh, about, about that arrest in a very small amount um, of, of that interaction. Uh, went ahead, uh, was allowed in, in trial, I should say. But he's the subject of an undercover drug investigation. Uh, so th- this was the arrest where he claimed he had been shot, which he, he actually hadn't been shot at all, but he claimed he had been shot. This is the arrest where when the police officer knocked on the window of the car, he put drugs in his mouth and fentanyl in his mouth at that same time. So it was pretty much exactly the same type of arrest and he was taken out of the car and everything else. So it was pretty much the same scene. The only difference is, of course, that there wasn't the resistance to arrest and he didn't die at the time. Well, I guess I guess one could argue also that uh, he he did he did re- resist uh, quite a bit, but they were able in that case to to get him some medical attention uh, early on. Uh, what we wanted to bring out in in the the 2020 arrest is this body camera footage to show this entire interaction, nearly 20 minutes with George Floyd, uh, because again, never in Minneapolis police history has body camera footage been hidden. The whole point of body cameras. Uh, are to be transparent with the public. It's why taxpayers pay for them, um, you know, to to gather this this information. But instead, you have a two and a half month time lapse before the public is even really allowed to see them. And I think to this day, most people um, haven't gone, you know, gone I was, through that. I was that blown away by that because like everybody else, I've seen there was a certain amount of body cam footage that was released. Uh, from a certain angles, et cetera, et cetera. And that was run on the news. A lot of that was on the, a lot of the news channels, et cetera. But that was the sum total of what I'd seen. And it wasn't until I seen your documentary that I seen the other angles, the other body cameras, the way he was arrested. He was offered help even when he was arrested first, when he was sat down at the wall across the road and nobody had seen that part. You know, this is before he was brought over to the car to be put into the car. And he was offered help. He was asked, did he had he ingested anything? Had he swallowed anything? I mean, I thought, you know, for what he was doing, I mean, they seem to be looking after him reasonably well. And we'll we'll get to what happened in a few minutes with George Floyd. And the reason, of course, the police were called in the first place was he's tried to pass off counterfeit money in a local store. When the police officer knocked on the window of the car, according to your documentary, there's a freeze frame that he had put something in his mouth. Do we know that for sure? I know the toxicology suggests that, or he could have taken it beforehand, but we know, do we know for sure that he put it in his mouth when he was stopped? Well, again, we, we kind of let uh, George Floyd speak for himself and the visuals uh, speak speak for themselves. But he had clearly had a history of, of doing just that. And, and you're right, the toxicology tests uh, point to that 
that happening. Again, he had three times the lethal amount of fentanyl uh, in his system, along with methamphetamine, a very dangerous uh, combination. George Floyd uh, had a bad heart, 75% blockage in, in one artery alone. He had a pelvic tumor that many have said required a, a lot more testing uh, when, it, when it comes to that. Recently recovered from COVID. Uh, but, you know, you bring up this body camera footage, too, and the, and the media simply ignores the fact that, that Thomas Lane uh, calls for an ambulance 36 seconds. And he laid on the ground. He doesn't want to get in the back of a, a squad car because, you know, he says he's claustrophobic, even though he'd just been pulled out of a, a cramped car hit mm -hmm. himself. But you also have uh, George Floyd talking about how he can't breathe before Derek Chauvin even arrives uh, on scene. I mean, when Derek Chauvin arrived on scene, that's when really it all started to happen. And you, you're right. He said he did, don't shoot me, don't shoot me. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'm claustrophobic. I'm claustrophobic. Like, he... That he said he wasn't resisting arrest, but he clearly was to some degree. He wouldn't get into the police car. Um, and I suppose the argument or the defense from the Floyd family at that time is, well, then why didn't you come up with some other method of arresting them? But I, I don't believe there is another method of arresting anybody apart from pulling him in the car. He did get into the car himself eventually. He, well, he was this kind of helped to get into the car. And what people don't seem to realize was when you see the other body camera footage, which wasn't released at the time, he was the one who got himself out the other side of the car and out onto the ground on the other side. Well, so why were we not shown that? Because immediately we were shown the one piece of footage where they forced him in the car. I don't know how we believed he got out of the car. Maybe we were led to believe initially that they dragged him back out or dealt with him or something. I don't know. Well, we, we didn't kind of see that bit, that he, got, he actually pushed himself back out of the car. This caused, I, I suppose, you know, politicians and everybody to basically politicise the whole thing. And we heard in the trailer there numerous amounts of politicians and public speakers and the mayor and everybody else talking about the time that Derek Chauvin was kneeling on his, as they say, his neck at the time. And that time seemed to get exaggerated as the days go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, again, I think that if they would have just gone frame by frame with this body camera footage, which was available to them, you know, immediately, it could have been the very next day where they had that press conference. Uh, but instead, they went to great lengths to, to hide that video. Not only that, uh, they, they took down the two pages of the police manual uh, that, that speaks to the maximal restraint technique. The officers uh, are also talking about in the body camera footage, but instead you have the chief of police and the mayor uh, talking about how whatever they're doing out there is not a part of, of police training. So the, they were covering their tracks uh, pr pretty quickly. Uh, it does seem, the evidence seems to point to the fact that, you know, there was a lot more people involved with this. You have the police chief who says he called uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the, the FBI, uh, in within just a few hours after that viral Facebook video mm -hmm. that, that, of course, we, we all saw. Uh, so the FBI was in town very early on, something that never has also uh, happened with a, a critical incident in Minneapolis. And, and this was during the presidential election. You know, you, you pointed that out. But uh, Trump was obviously president at, at the time, President Trump. And uh, there was this chaos uh, around the country dealing with with COVID, COVID. and lockdowns, yeah. and um, you know I think that that that, that played a, played a role in, in all of this uh, messaging as well. I mean, when when he died, I suppose look, there's an argument that it, you know if somebody dies in police custody, no matter how they die, even if they take their own lives, there should always be an investigation because you, the police are responsible from the moment they put those handcuffs on you. They are responsible for you to some degree, and if you are in stress or in danger, they're supposed to call you know emergency response units or whatever it happens to be to make sure that you don't die in their custody because they are responsible for you. Uh, but in this particular case, they did call them. 
That again wasn't mentioned at the start, that Derek Chauvin had actually called the emergency response to come and deal with the situation and, and to deal with whatever injuries or whatever might be wrong with him. Um, you talked about the technique they used, which has been approved by the police, although the chief of police lied about it and said that it wasn't. So the technique they use in those kind of situations is to kneel on the shoulder rather than the neck. Now, on numerous camera angles, you can actually see that he's kneeling on his shoulder. But there are other camera angles, and one that in particular that was used in court, where it does seem like he was kneeling on his neck. Yeah, you have that the exhibit uh, in, in court that's shown over and over again of an angle that, that appears uh, that way. However, um, you can clearly see from Alex King's body camera footage that shows shows the back um, that it really is the, the leg is placed more on the, the shoulder blade itself. You also have, you know, I talked about the 36 seconds already. The officers at the scene are recognizing something's going on and they don't understand what's going on at the ambulance, why it's taking them so long. So you have uh, Tu Tao who calls again uh, after a couple minutes pass and is looking for the ambulance. Uh, normally a response time in that area since there is uh, medical services just within, um, uh, you know, uh, a mile, basically, just a couple minutes away. Um, he he calls again and is sort of ups uh, ups the uh, the code in in the call to try to get the ambulance there sooner. We know now that there's some miscommunication uh, happening with with EMS and and fire. Uh, very little of that was talked about either during Derek Chauvin's trial, but also. Uh, that was kept from from the public too until some of it came out in trial, which was you know nearly nearly a year later. So so again, the point here is there's so much more uh, to this interaction, to this entire story. But here we are, you know, more than three years later, paying the consequences uh, for these lies, and people should question why all of this was manipulated the way it was. When it when it happened originally, we all saw uh, night after night the riots across Minneapolis and it was outrageous and and it seems from the documentary the police were more or less instructed not to do anything about it in other words just let them do it at one stage even the police uh I should have said the 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 police station as we would call it over here uh, were told to evacuate the, their own police station and um, to let them take it over which was the most unusual and unprecedented thing to actually want to do because it shows the police are weak it shows the police are not in control but yet they allow that to happen. And as you say, you're still paying the price for it. Donald Trump only recently said that if he gets elected, he's going to give the police back their power again. Because the police in America, similar to many other countries around the world now, are being told if somebody goes in and, you know, steals a television set, just, just let them at it. Yeah, and that, that was another reason I, I think we wanted to go ahead and do this documentary, just to give a voice to these officers who were in so many ways, you know, served up uh, to the mob. Um, you know, they were told uh, again and again to, to stand down. That's very clear in the hours and hours of, of audio uh, audio that that uh, goes on over the course of uh, several days during the rioting in, in mm -hmm. Minneapolis. And then, and then you have these officers essentially running for their lives um, after this planned surrender of the third precinct. The thought was, as crazy as it sounds, that if they gave the third precinct away uh, to these, you know, so-called peaceful protesters, uh, that the rioting would stop in, in Minneapolis, that that's really what they were after and what they wanted. Of course, that is not what, what happened at all. Um, but it, it was truly heartbreaking, I think, to, to sit in on those those interviews and ask those officers uh, questions. You can even hear how emotional it is for them uh, several years later, and most I of them had, yeah. had left the department because of it. 
I mean, I watched that. I think it was the superintendent, uh, and she constantly crying. Yeah, and and I watched some of the other police officers basically trying to hold back the tears because how emotionally damaged they'd been by this whole thing. Because the very idea that you, you know, you 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 take an oath to serve and protect, and then essentially you're told not to serve and protect anymore, to leave the police station, let them burn it down, and not only burn down the police station, but burn down every other building on the street probably as well. The amount of buildings and businesses that were destroyed over that period of time is just the city became unrecognizable. Yeah, you had uh, more than 1,500 businesses either damaged or destroyed in, in the rioting in, in Minneapolis. Uh, you've had thousands of businesses uh, since close their doors, uh, fleeing, you know, not only for, um, you know, the, the suburbs, if you will, in Minnesota, but many have relocated to, to other states. I know of many stories that that's the, the case mm -hmm. as well. And that's why we called uh, the documentary The Fall of of Minneapolis. Uh, many people have said, you know, you could call it the, the fall of America. Every city seems to have a story after after all of this. Um, but but yeah, people really took their their safety for granted almost in a way in this very kind of idyllic Midwestern city in, in Minnesota. Um, but it has completely, completely changed. And you're right, unrecognizable in, in so many areas. And what was shocking was they were told while there's a riot ensuing, why you've you've got these, you know, people running around with all sorts of missiles and Molotov cocktails and whatever it happens to be. And the police are told not to wear riot gear, to go out there in their uniforms. In other words, go out there and put your life in danger. It was incredible. Yeah, they were they were told that that, you know, looked a, a little too militaristic and it wasn't the message that they that they wanted to send. But you, um, you know, as a member of the, you know, what we call like legacy, legacy media or mainstream media at the, the time, we had a lot of that happening as well, kind of crafting this message and, and pushing it out to the public, you know, not allowed to use the term riots in our reporting. Uh, we could only talk about them as, as protests. And and you you had, um, you know, I really felt like reporters became activists more than more than journalists. Uh, you'd have, you know, uh, buildings on fire be behind these reporters during their live broadcast, and they were talking about how how peaceful the protesting. Uh, what well, as crazy yeah. as it sounds, but I would be, you know, I would kind of be like, people are smart; they're they're not buying what you're what you're selling here. I don't think. Um, the autopsy report is something that's come into question, uh, and people, by the way, have criticised you and the documentary in relation to the autopsy report. And I'll let you respond to that in a second. But you know, in the autopsy report, the one shown in the documentary, certainly it suggests that he died um, most likely from uh, fentanyl, and the amount of fentanyl that he had in his body um, could have caused a cardiac arrest. And certainly, from the videos then and the body cams that we see in the documentary, and all the different angles that we've never seen before, and from what he's saying. He's certainly in distress. There is no doubt that his his body seems to be shutting down because he's talking about not being able to breathe, et cetera, et cetera. So they would be all the signs of possibly going into severe anxiety and possibly having a heart attack. Um, but the family themselves, then they ordered their own autopsy report um, by somebody who didn't even see the body, somebody who'd never even examined it. And they said that wasn't the case, that he died obviously from um, a police officer kneeling on his neck. So... What do you say to the criticisms that say that your autopsy, the one that you showed in the documentary, didn't show, say, the first page? I've seen somebody suggesting that. Uh, why was that left out? Or there was pages left out that yours was inaccurate. Do you stand by what you put in the documentary? Oh, absolutely. And I will say that we put all of our research. It's up on the fall of Minneapolis.com. These are all public, public documents. What people don't, don't realize, and we tried to paint the paint the, the picture in the documentary, there's more in the book, uh, they're lying about this. 
uh, about all of this, the the autopsy itself. You have George Floyd who who passes away, and the official, the only official autopsy on George Floyd is conducted within 12 hours of his death. Obviously, a little bit more time has to pass before toxicology results uh, come back and such. But instead of releasing the information to the public that shows no strangulation marks, uh, nothing along those lines when it comes to to, to George Floyd's uh, body, no asphyxiation. Uh, his his heart situation, et cetera. You have uh, Dr. Andrew Baker, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, meet behind closed doors with prosecutors and the FBI uh, for several days. So this goes on back and forth for several days. Notes are kept during these meetings. That's all part of uh, public documentation. And you see the narrative uh, a bit begin to change uh, in, in that autopsy. Uh, so we tried to, to capture that. Again, you don't even have uh, Dr. Andrew Baker calling it a homicide uh, right away. That that uh, term doesn't doesn't uh, turn up for, for a bit. And, and you're right, you have uh, George Floyd's family hire their own medical examiners who, again, never um, never uh, were in possession of, of George Floyd's body at all. You also then have the Department of Justice, the DOJ, do another uh, uh, autopsy uh, on, on George Floyd, but again, uh, not in possession of, of his body. So they re release all of these in a kind of chaotic way, uh, a bit in a very short timeline. And so I think it sort of didn't allow the, the public or the press for that matter to digest uh, much of that information. Was it difficult for you when you were making this? And I've got to come to the, the convictions in a few minutes and the sentencing. But was it, was it difficult to you, for you as a journalist, an investigative journalist, and, and one who says, you know, that you're involved in truth-telling, to also balance that with some level of impartiality, um, I suppose, you know, obviously taking into consideration the sensitivity of the matter, and also taking into consideration that, as we said at the very start, there is no doubt, and I don't believe, by the way, that this should be some sort of test case or anything like that, but there is no doubt that there is a problem within the police force, within all police forces, that has to be recognised that there can be racism. You know, I think that this is something that, that I've grappled with for quite some time as a, a member of, of the media because, uh, of course, I mean, there's bad apples in every profession. I, no matter no, no matter what you do uh, for a living, uh, you, there are bad doctors, uh, there are bad teachers, uh, et cetera. But, but what they were selling to the public when it came to this case, you really had, in, in a way, Boy Scout police officers uh, sort of on the scene that day. I'm talking about Alex King, the the black police officer that everybody seems to ignore, who is the one who arrested George Floyd. But yet uh, you have the, the entire world in flames, essentially, over this you know racist narrative. Uh, it's his third day on the job, Alex King. He's, he's partnered with uh, Thomas Lane, uh, his second day on the job of the Minneapolis uh, Police Department. Uh, you have uh, Tutau, who is a Hmong American police officer. You have a mixed race group of police officers, but yet we're being told this is the most racist police incident um, in in Minneapolis in Minneapolis history. But nobody was pushing back and saying, you know, it just doesn't doesn't. This is also a Derek Chauvin who. Uh, certainly has complaints, but it's hard to find a, a Minneapolis police officer who doesn't, who who does who does their job because again, activists make a lot of money in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, uh, actually capitalizing uh, on these this com these complaints because they've let these activist groups overrun the, the, the city, which is why uh, you know the Minneapolis Police Department, in in so many terms, has been defunded. There's nearly uh, 
you know, 40% fewer police officers in Minneapolis now than the, than there were in May of May of 2020. Well, in fairness, when you watch the documentary, why would you want to be a police officer? Oh, of course, of course not. So when people yeah. try, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is when people try to group this with with that, the, the, the facts don't don't align in, in this case. Certainly, have there been uh, issues before? A- absolutely. But just because the media is trying to, to tell you this or, you know, these so-called, you know, leaders or politicians are selling you this. Alex King speaks to that in the documentary. Don't fall for it. You know, don't fall for this race bait. Um, you know, is, is this what we want our justice system to look like, to be overrun uh, by the mob? And this went right to the top, of course, because we see in the trailer we see Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but this went right to the top, of course, as well. Then to Joe Biden when he was eventually elected as well. So this went right to the top. I mean, it wasn't just low level. This wasn't just the mayor. This wasn't just the chief of police. This was everybody, and it was all of the media as well. So what happened is you've got a situation now where you've got Derek Chauvin and the, the arresting police officers all charged, uh, being brought to court, almost the trial of the century, and you had a massive crowd outside, a huge crowd. Thankfully, at that stage, the riots had stopped. They had stopped for a good period of time at that stage, waiting for the case to come. But I suppose it was a situation whereby if he wasn't found guilty, um, they knew they were just going to burn the place down. Yeah, never before had they cleared out, um, you know, court, the Hennepin County court system. They, they gave two floors of the Hennepin County courthouse, I should say, to uh, prosecutors, to, to more than a dozen prosecutors that, that worked on this case, led by the Attorney General of, of Minnesota, Keith Ellison. Um, never before have they they stopped all hearings and, and such uh, within Hennepin County Court as this went on. So you have a, a jury who's also not sequestered uh, f- for this trial paraded in and out of this courthouse where National Guardsmen are uh, are, are there with their their weapons. Uh, you know, you you can clearly see them. You have yeah. the uh, the barriers, the, the, the huge barriers put up, barbed yeah. wire. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly sent a message. I think that's impossible to ignore. So, so they knew they had to, I mean, no matter what had to happen that, on those days, they knew they had to get a guilty verdict because if, they, if that verdict had to be not guilty, I shouldn't think of what might have happened that particular night in Minneapolis. Um, I would say it would be worse than whatever amount of business you said were burnt down or destroyed or damaged. I think it would have been 10 times worse. And I don't think it would have ended. Yeah, and you had a judge who, you know, did, denied a change of venue and also uh, the Minnesota uh, State Supreme Court then denied the appeal based on that. The U.S. Supreme Court has now weighed in and, and also denied an appeal for Derek Chauvin based on a, a change of, of venue. But we, we speak to that whole situation uh, in, in the fall of, of Minneapolis. Uh, in relation to the other arresting police officers, from what I could see in the video and the body cam shots that I've seen, uh, certainly the arresting police officer was very kind to him. They did try their best to try and accommodate him, even though he kept saying he couldn't breathe and he was seemingly clearly very anxious. I have no understanding of why that would have been even suggested. Whatever about Derek Chauvin, and we can, you know, we can talk about the fact that, you know, everybody, who anybody dies in police custody, it must be investigated. And if there's seen to be wrongdoing, you know, a police officer should be charged, certainly if, if something is inappropriate. And um, that obviously can be discussed. But in saying that, the other three officers, I have no understanding of why they went to jail. I mean, what was there a demand? Do you think there was a demand for the other three officers to go to jail as well? Well, we've tried to bring out some of that public documentation, and only some of it has recently become uh, available. Um, so sort of the, this bombshell um, report that uh, Alpha News is where I work now in, in Minnesota uh, that, that was made public uh, talks about how Hennepin County prosecutors 
uh, or never wanted to charge the three other officers. In fact, they withdrew from from the case. From they they wanted nothing to do with charging these officers. They said morally, ethically. Um, there, there's no evidence here that they, they don't feel good about this. And this is when you have the attorney general of Minnesota swoop in and take over the, the prosecution. The attorney general of Minnesota, again, Keith Ellison, long history of, of hating police officers, uh, an Antifa supporter openly, um, you know, and that we've tried to bring out some of his past as well uh, in, in the documentary. So we now know uh, that there was this chorus sort of in the background of uh, longtime Hennepin County prosecutors who did not feel comfortable charging these uh, other officers. But the attorney general came in and said, nope, this is uh, this is what we're going to do. Which is very difficult for their families. And I heard there's families speaking in your documentary, um, you know, talking about how they just they just failed to understand how this actually happened. Because there you got police officers who were doing their job restraining somebody and trying to get them into the back of a police car because that's their job to do that. They, and they did nothing more than their job. And even at one stage when he was on the ground and Derek Chauvin was kneeling either on his shoulder or his neck, um, <clears throat> they he was kicking. So they had to kneel on his legs. That's normally what they would do in that situation or restrain his legs to stop him from kicking them. I don't know what they expect police officers to do. And on that note, I think in the documentary at the end, you spoke to a police officer who, who had left the police force because he said in his last, uh, I think, uh, situation that he had, he had a man who was twice his size. There was three or four police officers. They wanted to take him down. He had done something seriously wrong. They wanted to take him down. And he said, we're afraid to actually arrest people anymore because we knew to get this guy arrested, we were going to have to take him down. He was a big guy. He committed a serious crime. But he said it was a case of just, if we do that, we're going to jail. Yeah, that was uh, Jason, Jason Reimer, a longtime um, street cop, essentially, in, in Minneapolis. And that's why I say, you know, Minneapolis really did lose the best of the best when it came to its uh, police force. People that, you know, signed up to serve and protect. Uh, but it, it's been made almost impossible to do the job. Uh, you have so many people that have changed as a result of this. Uh, you know, officers, if they even handcuff someone in Minneapolis, it's, you know, deemed a, a use of force. And, you know, they have to, to go ahead and, and report all of that. They can't uh, chase suspects anymore. There's new policies when it comes to that. But but Jason speaks to the fact that, you know, the, if this guy uh, overdoses in our custody and he's with other white police officers, now all things that they have to consider that they never even ever thought about before that, you know, they're all going to go to prison. Uh, and that was his last day, last day on the job. I mean, when you say they're not even allowed to handcuff people, it's considered to be uh, violent yeah. in some way, whatever it is. How are they actually enforcing the law? <laughs> well, uh, you, you know, I, I commend those who, who have stayed on and um, and such, but they are struggling to find anyone to join the, the Minneapolis Police Department. And it's be because of that. Uh, other areas in, in Minnesota... Uh, certainly support their police, their city council members support the police, their mayors support the police. Um, so they're going to work for them, uh, of course. You had, um, uh, you know, again, this political establishment who threw these guys under the bus. And in, in a way, I don't think they realized how they were throwing the entire department uh, under the bus uh, as well. And the kind of message they, they sent to just go ahead and, you know, lie about what took place, lie about their training, um, and I, you know, uh, the, the writing was, was really on the wall for a lot of these guys and gals. I mean, realistically, let's just go back to De Derek Chauvin for a second. You know, what he was sentenced with was murder or homicide uh, and manslaughter, as well as many other things. In this country, and I don't know about America, certainly to prove murder, you have to prove there was intent. 
and you have to prove that you went out that morning with the intent to kill somebody or or at least uh, prove that, you know, when, when he got out of the back of the car that Derek Chauvin in his own head decided, I want to kill this man. That certainly wasn't the case from the body cams that we've seen. It certainly wasn't the case because of the fact that he actually called the EMT himself. So how do they make a murder charge stick when clearly at worst, you know, if if indeed he kneeled on his neck and if indeed it did cause his death and you're obviously claiming that it didn't, but even if it did, manslaughter would be the most they could possibly try somebody for, certainly in this country as far as I know. So how do they make a murder charge stick? You're asking excellent questions because they're the questions a lot of people uh, have asked in, in the wake of this. There are so many questionable rulings uh, by the judge, questionable maneuvers made uh, by the the team that were that was leading the, the prosecution. You know, questionable ethics uh, by the attorney general of of Minnesota. Um, and I've asked uh, Derek that in in conversations. Did you get up and you know, he, Derek Chauvin wasn't even planning to work that day, but as he always did, he called and asked if they needed extra help. It was Memorial Day. Um, and he then signed up to, to work, sort of volunteered to, to do so. Um, but, you know, there was a lot that came out that, you know, he had this ax to grind with with George Floyd. They worked together. Did they? Um, was, that, they never, was that actually they true? Never... Was that actually true? That story no, that they, seemed they worked in some nightclub Derek or something said together? He, yeah, he had no idea who George Floyd was. They, they were... Uh, about four years separated the time where they worked at the same uh, establishment. So no, um, that that was not the case. But, um, you know, and, and Thomas Lane talks about this as well in his interview uh, with, with the FBI and, and BCA agents. He, he says that, you know, in, in arrests, it's not uncommon for, for these people who are fighting uh, for quite a while to just pass out. And that's what they thought was happening mm. with George Floyd. Nobody thought, okay, we're just, you're murdering this, you know, man right now, uh, you know, in broad daylight as everybody's In front of loads us. of witnesses, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what they've talked about. They they thought were was happening. And again, you know, even going back three, three years, this is before, uh, you know, fentanyl has kind of uh, taken over, uh, you know, Minneapolis and other uh, cities across the, the world. Um, and also rookie police officers who I think didn't fully recognize uh, what was happening with George Floyd's health. And, and you have to also say Alex King asked him, what are you on? What'd you take? Uh, that happens within just a few seconds. And George Floyd again says, you know, again and again, I didn't take anything. I'm not on anything. Um, and I think if, if crazy as it sounds, if George Floyd himself was just uh, honest, um, perhaps this would have turned out differently. Um. Since this has all happened, has anything changed politically in Minneapolis? Has anybody, any politicians or senators or has anybody actually questioned this or gone back over it? Or is this the thing you daren't question? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because, I, you know, here we are more than two months later after releasing the, the fall of Minneapolis. We put it out there for free. We wanted as many people to, to watch it as possible because it changed so many lives. Um and this was really about the, the truth more than anything else. But I've had a lot of people contact me privately, um, but a lot of people publicly uh, don't feel uh, compelled. There is still, you know, fear surrounding this. Derek Chauvin himself is stabbed 22 times, we uh, nine recently, days yeah. after the yeah. documentary uh, is, is released. And, and he's stabbed by a former FBI informant in a federal facility uh, in Tucson, Arizona, where he'd been without incident for the last 15 months. So how is he, how is he now, uh, by the way? Is he okay? 
you know, I don't think he's doing very well. We've been in communication with him. He's kept in a, a medical unit. Uh, he was being kept in, inside for 24 hours a, a day before he was working almost every day in the facility and, and such. Uh, so this certainly certainly changed things. His injuries were quite severe um, and spent, you know, quite a bit of time in, in the hospital. But it remains to be seen if he'll be moved or how this will will affect will affect things. But but I, I've also heard from many people who this changed their mind. Uh, a lot of people on the other you know, side, I guess, if you will, which is sad to me that public safety has become so political. But, um, you, you know, some some people have gone on record to say that they thought one thing and and there's something else. But more needs to happen within the legal system. And, yeah, you're right. Some some politicians with spines uh, to, to come forward, because I frankly don't know how you look at this. And a lot of these people even sleep at night. I don't know how they feel good about everything that that's happened. Does it give you any hope that, of course, Donald Trump, one of his policies that he's talking about at the moment is giving the police officer back their power not to be sued, etc., for doing their job? Does that give you any hope? Because Joe Biden certainly isn't going to do that. Yeah, I mean, you definitely see a, a stark difference in in their approach to, to, to public safety. No, no doubt about that. Um, you know, I, I do have hope now that, um, you know, more people seem to seem to be waking up. More people are, you know. Uh, sharing, sharing the documentary, sharing the truth, and that, and, and frankly, that people just care about the the truth. Because for a while there, I wasn't exactly sure if that was the case. I didn't have many expectations with the book or even even the documentary. But it, but it's been incredible uh, hearing from people all over the world um, mm -hmm. at at this point that it really uh, helped helped to wake them up. And people should wonder, you know, again, why are these why are these things happening? Uh, why are we being led down these you know very dangerous and divisive paths by by the media by our we, we have the same um, problem in this country. We have the same problem in this country. I work that? in the media as well. I work uh, on radio, but I also do the podcast as well. But we also have the same problem in this country. They're having the same problem in the UK. They have the same problem in many countries around the world. And you're seeing you're seeing the, the pendulum starting to swing back now, of course, because there's a huge resistance uh, to what governments are saying is disinformation, when realistically we know that the governments are the guiltiest when it comes to disinformation. Uh, and that's a big <laughs> conversation happening in Europe at the moment. And Elon Musk now, I don't know whether you've watched the news, Elon Musk is now getting involved in Ireland suggesting that if anybody uh, were trying to bring in new, new laws in this country, they're called hate speech laws. And basically hate speech is not defined in law. It's anything the government don't agree with. Uh, and so Elon Musk has said that if the Irish government passed these laws, he will personally pay for a legal challenge to get them overturned because they want to silence the media. They want to silence social media. Yep. They want to silence any detractor or dis any dissenting voices whatsoever when it comes to anything, because they're the only ones allowed to lie, it seems. Um, but you've got, I mean, you personally, I mean, you have a career, um, you have a family. Was it that a worry when you were making this documentary? Because it is such a hot topic. And um, we have seen so many people die, you know, getting involved. And I certainly wouldn't wish anything like that on you. But we've seen so many people, you know, die because they're on the wrong side of the debate. They're on the wrong side of the argument, you know, because it's political. I mean, does that worry you or did you get any backlash? Have you, have you had any fear over that? Obviously, put under the microscope uh, in in the days following George Floyd, we had protests outside our our home. Uh, one protest in which they bashed a uh, pinata effigies of that that looked like uh, myself and my husband in our driveway. It was kind of a high profile um, situation. But but really, I came to the point of putting this together and putting this out there that I wasn't so scared um, what would happen if I did, but I was more scared about what would happen if I, I, I did not. Uh, I recognized that I had a unique skill set and was able to, to do something like this. 
Um, but I also, you know, am fighting in a way for for my son. He has to grow up in the in this world too. And I wasn't really sure what that looks like for the next generation. So we need more people, um, you know, such as yourself and you know people that that actually care about the the, the truth and uh, you know are willing to to put themselves on the line uh, to to get that out there. Well, look, it's an intriguing well, documentary. Intriguing. I recommend people go and watch it. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis. If anybody wants to go on YouTube, uh, Rumble, where else is it available, by the way, if they want to go and watch it? Yeah, we, I think we have it on all our platforms as, uh, also. So again, I'm with uh, Alpha News, alphanews.org in um, Minnesota, but we are on uh, X. So on Twitter, you'll find the documentary there. Uh, you'll find it on our Facebook page, uh, Alpha News MN. Um, so it's basically on all of all of the social media channels we have some people who try to steal it which is funny it's a free documentary so it's not very difficult uh, <laughs> uh but, but but it is easy, easy easy to find okay and, and of course you can okay. find it on twitter how many views by the way or many views many people have watched it so far as far as your estimates are concerned yeah i think we're up um over seven million views at at this point um so it's really been it's been remarkable Cl clearly exceeded expectations but I hope millions and millions more uh, will watch this because we really need to reach as many people as possible. Well, the best way I always say to people to find it is just Google it. The Fall of Minneapolis. And if you just click Google it and then click videos, you'll find loads of links, uh, be it on Twitter, be it on Rumble, be it on YouTube or whatever it happens to be. But look, I really appreciate you for joining us. It's a wonderful documentary. People can make and take what they can from it. They can believe it or not believe it. That's entirely up to them. They can make up their own minds after watching it. Uh, they can question it and people have questioned it. Um, but you've obviously uh, spoke to us about some of the criticisms that you've got in relation to the documentary. But I advise people to watch it because it's interesting at the very least. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I really appreciate it, Liz Collum. And don't forget, by the way, the book, if anyone wants to get the book, by the way, the book is called uh, They're Lying, the Media, the Left and the Death of George Floyd. And you can get the book as well. Is that available in all the usual places, Amazon and everywhere else? That, that's on uh, Amazon is, is the best place. But thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed, Liz.